0: Welcome to After the Ninth. I'm Cass Patterson with Dayton Sutherland, and how are you doing, Date?
1: Good, same old, same old, just uh, walking around my air-conditioned bedroom. I stole the air conditioner from the holiday trailer and parked it in the bedroom because the house doesn't have uh, any AC, so um, yeah, that's it, just trying to survive the heat.
0: Well, I mean, that works, but you know, some well, of us don't have AC and we're surviving, so...
1: That's true. That's true. It always could be worse.
0: It could. Uh, how are the horses doing in this heat? It's uh, kind of crazy. We're what beginning of June, and I mean we're all sweating like there's no tomorrow.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty hot out there. Um, we've been training for about uh, I don't know a few weeks, give or take. And uh, yeah, it's, it's I mean right now with how hot it is, it's be mean, plus thirty five today. We didn't train today, but. Um, usually we're just trying to train early in the morning or late at night. And so it's not, you know, scorching hot for them when they're getting a sweat on or whatever, but uh, yeah, their uh, horses are feeling good. They're excited and uh, they just want to run. So um, yeah, that's about, that's about all they're doing.
0: I guess that uh, kind of puts us uh, back a week ago. Um, the Calgary stampede uh, announcing that you know they're not holding the rangeland derby this year. And, they're citing it's because the horses won't be in shape. But I mean, <sighs> kind of where, w- what are your thoughts on this date? Like, I know my thoughts, but at the end of the day, it's not my story. It's your guys' story.
1: Well, when I first heard it, I didn't think it was real. Like, I thought this was some, like, I don't know if it's like a rumor or like it was like miscommunication because um, I'd heard it, I, um, you know, a bit premature than the actual news release. Um, cause they, they, I, um, my dad did an interview about it and then so did Kurt and they both said that, you know, they didn't tell anybody from the WPCA or, or wagon drivers or anything like that. When they released the news, they, they told other parties first, like services and stuff like that. So, um, we didn't even know. And it was just kind of like, you know, blindsided by it. And then Kurt made a really good point. Like they haven't, you know, they'd never said anything beforehand, uh, prior to them canceling this year's Chuck wagons that we'd have X amount of race days, you know, uh, before their show, uh, or whatever, you know, and, and keep in mind, we've had, what is it like over a year, um, year and a half to plan for this. And, you know, there's never been mentioned before and all of a sudden you need to have X amount of race dates They, you know, again, they didn't specify or anything this year, um, as to why they canceled, but, uh, and, and we were going to have race dates before, but that's neither here nor there. Um, So anyways, it's just kind of, kind of weird, kind of blindsided, but um, again, like we talked about in the last podcast, that's just Calgary's, Calgary's going to Calgary, right? Um, Stampede's going to stampede. That's just how they are. This goes back however many years, decades and decades, way before my time, this kind of relationship with Chuck Wagon's Calgary has always been there um, where there's a little bit of a battle, um, lack of communication, um, not the strongest relationship. Uh, although the two do go very well together, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, back from when they were going to invite only, that was a big shake to the sport. And that was only, you know, a handful of years ago. And then uh, last year they are cutting to 27 wagons and, and now they're only taking from WPCA. And, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just, just the, it's been the same old story. So we need to, um, to stop relying on Calgary. It sounds silly uh, right now. But uh, really, that that instability is exactly what cripples everybody and, and cripples a sport. And, and now you've got guys that have invested X amount of dollars, which is, you know, a year salary for two year salary, three year salary for a lot of people, you know, and wintering horses and keeping horses for, you know, the last couple of years. And, uh, and then now all of a sudden there's no revenue to, to get back out of those horses. So now you're kind of sitting on a pile of equity that, that you can't really get any money out of. And, and it's not like the sports really looking up right now, especially with the things that Calgary is doing. So it's just, it's, it's really going to crush a lot of drivers. I myself, I didn't think I was racing for the last three years. Somehow I'm miraculously still here. Um, for the young guys, it's, it's, you know, for the old guys, it's not looking good for Calgary and for the sport and whatever. So the young guys, it's just that much worse. Um, they can't get started. They can't, you know, get anything going. They don't have anything to look forward to. Um, it's not like they know they can get into the big show or or those big guys. So anyways, moral of the story is kind of rambling on here, but, uh, I said last podcast and I'll say it again is my opinion is we need to, uh, move on and, and get something that's more sustainable, more stable, and, uh, and, and build some other shows up. And, and obviously the payday isn't going to be there. And, you know, what? We're, we're probably never going to build a show just like Calgary. And it might be a long, long time before we find a show that's as lucrative as Calgary. Maybe we go down the States. Maybe we go tour around a bit. Maybe we build something up that's not at the Stampede that's in Calgary, like Century Downs. Um, there's lots of options out there that just take time. And and it takes time to build something as you know storied as these great shows like Pinoca or Calgary. They're hundred years, eighty-five years in the making. So you can't just replicate it. That's not what I'm saying. But it is crippling to constantly rely. The sport relies on Calgary, and then to be constantly let down. So it's uh, yeah. It's I don't know what else to say really.
0: You know, it just it's interesting that you talk about building up these other shows because I've heard a lot of people bring back up the Battle of the Giants, the races that happened in High River back in the 1980s. Your grandpa talked about it when we did our podcast with him back. Wow, that was two years ago. Um, But I mean, that could be something again. You never know. Um, I'm interested to see what's happening. The WPCA did uh, put out a press release like right before we started recording saying that there is some sort of um, tour that will be happening this year. And the dates will be, uh, posted later on either this week or next week. I guess it'd probably be next week. Cause this week is going to be over once we post this. There
1: 100% will be something going on this year and we are going to have a season release. That's, that's what it's still looking like. I know I said that last podcast again, and it's just been, you know, kind of dragging on and on and we still don't know what's happening for could just push back the other day. Um, to that they want to try and go in August or something, and then we're supposed to have a full schedule for August, and and certain shows like High River or wanting to do something or Strathmore or whatever, um, and and maybe we do have something that's in replacement of Calgary uh, during those days. I would imagine it'd be pretty hard to compete with Calgary, especially in their area. Um, I know people are upset and and they don't want to. Support Calgary, especially like wagon fans or sponsors, wagon sponsors, that type of thing. But um, as far as just casual fans and and uh, jeans and the seats, I, I don't think it's. I, I think it might be a little bit competitive, at least, uh, especially for that weekend if you're going to do something like High River. So um, long term, I don't know if if there's anything there trying to trying to take out of take off of calvary's plate but in the short term this year uh, maybe we'll make something work where we have a race uh during those dates just to you know build some uh season up
0: and i mean there is um the north american chuck reagan championship happening in lloyd that week so i mean that's where a lot of i guess the cpca guys will be going so
1: yeah and and that's 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 kind of what we need to do too we need to you know build our own shows where it's not Um, so much of a dictatorship or, or uh, however you want to call it, but um, we need to, we need to build up some, our own shows where, you know, we're able to work with the committees and, and, uh, and we have some say in in what goes on Um, just because you, you just simply can't, you know, continuously spend the money and, and, and try and rely on something as unstable and as unpredictable as Calgary. Um, whether the money's there or not at the next show that you replace it with. um, You just kind of, at some point you just have to (laughs) cut your losses and, and, you know, it's like cutting the toxic X or something. Um, You know what I mean? It's just like, at some point, you just got to say enough is enough. And, and uh, that's just, just my opinion from the outside in, I've never been in Calgary, and i will probably never race there to be honest Um, the way it's looking right now. But, you know, just even as a young guy, it's kind of like I've never been able to, I've never known what I have to do to get there. It's, it's always unpredictable. I don't know if I'm coming or going. I don't know what I'm doing this year, next year, or last year. I have no clue what is going on because I don't know what Calgary's doing, right? I don't know how to get there. I don't know. Nobody knows um, now, obviously, and and that's kind of the point is that when you have that unpredictability, it, it makes it really, really hard to make sound business decisions. And and that might sound silly, but this really is kind of like a business. You got to run it like a business because you got you know a lot of mouths to feed and not a lot of dollars to do it with. So it just it just makes it really, really tough. And and it's made it really tough for me for the last you know handful of years, and uh, as well as other guys that of bottom feeders in the sport that uh, are either young or, or don't quite have what it takes to get there all the time or, or have been struggling for a long time to stay in Calgary there's a lot of those types too you see those guys wash in and out and they leave the sport and some new ones come in but you know nowadays there aren't that many new ones coming in and the others change is that uh, a lot of the old guys the top guys are going to be washing out now that's two years without Calgary so yeah, I, I I just really, really don't think it's healthy for the sport when you have all this unpredictability and you don't have anything to bank on. You have a bunch of guys that are taking in all this money. Half the guys in the sport or or even 75% of the guys in the sport aren't getting the money. So it's kind of like a monopoly. There's no salary cap there. Um, the rich get richer, which is fine. But uh, it, it's at a point where the, 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 the sport is so weak as it is. We need to focus on building wagons. And that's kind of the whole point because we, we just don't have enough wagons to replace. These guys are about to fall. So anyway, that's, that's kind of re- repetitive to what I said the last podcast. But
0: Last year, you were planning on hosting an outriding school. Yes. Is getting guys I want to say guys and gals, but it's going to be more dominantly men interested in outriding do you think that's going to help us you know get to that point where they're not going to be able to outride anymore but they're going to want to stay in the sport so then they eventually go into the driving not yeah a it's
1: like a, it's like a drug it's you just try it once and and uh it's not enough anymore so you jump into the wagon box that's how it goes with a lot of people um a lot of drivers you, if you went around and asked i mean a lot of them started as barnhands or outriders ever very few were born into it and if they were born into it they again they probably started as outriders or whatever um if they were you know fit to or, or that type of that size of person um but yeah, it's, it's, it's hundred percent where we need to start. You don't just start um, very, very few guys like Josh Renix One of the few guys that I can think of off the top of my head that, that uh, I guess he outrode, didn't he? Yeah. He outrode too. So um, there's another guy, but uh, very few guys just, just start off, just driving the wagon all of a sudden, John Walters was one, I guess um, he would, you know, he rodeoed and then uh, got in the wagon box. Obviously he was a bit older, so he didn't outride, but um most of those guys come from from uh, that side of the sport so the more outriders you have the more you have to pick from uh the more guys that will be involved with in the sport and then ultimately the more wagon drivers um and then it just kind of it's a self fulfilling prophecy from there the more outriders you demand um the more you're gonna get and uh it, it does make things a little bit haywire like you know there's a lot more penalties out there and you need to uh, pack more horses and stuff like that. But honestly, it's a very, very um, necessary evil. It's a, it's a very necessary part of the sport. Um, a lot of times people want to cut down on outriders. They want to have two outriders instead of four. They want to have no outriders instead of one or two, like the WCA or the ponies or whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is just more uh, players out on the court. Right. So, um, it, it really, really does help, and, and the WCA is actually going to have outriders this year. I think they're just doing the one, um, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, it's a lot of you know, you know, new kids are going to get starts and probably going to fall in love with it, just like the rest of us. And uh, maybe there's new wagon drivers uh, coming down the road there. So who knows?
0: So maybe that's something that you know, for the sustainability of the sport, we look at for the future is that you know there is one to two outriding clinics in the spring to, you know, entice these kids and these guys.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's one thing that we can do. We can do outriding schools and, and that kind of stuff. Um, we, we need the demand for outriders though. Uh, first and foremost, you know, it'd be really, really cool if we had some of these big shows uh, like Pinocchio or century or something that demanded three outriders um, or four again, um maybe this, you know, maybe this year is the year to do it because everything's so out of whack. Why not just throw in four outriders? Maybe it's not because guys aren't gonna have the, the horsepower, probably they're gonna have the horses this year. But um it'd be really cool if if we could start demanding for more outriders, uh, because uh, well, I mean, I shouldn't say we're we're packed right now. Um it kind of changes every year. But when I started at least outriding, you know, that was uh what was that seven, eight years ago. Now, um, there was 22 Outriders. You know, I couldn't even get a ride no matter what I did. I got, you get one shot and, and uh, it's at certain shows and stuff like that. And that's as a 15-year-old kid. And now 15-year-old kids are coming multiple um, down the line and they're getting, you know, four or five heats a night. Um, and they had a big season in 2019, a lot of those young kids in, in 2018. So there's there's a, there's a strong group that we have right now um, that replaced those, uh, that older group that, was there when I came in. Um, so we, I, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a ton of room for new outriders, uh, at, on the WPCA, at least, um, CPCA, I, I don't ride over there. I don't go over there. I have no clue what's going on. Um, but I've heard that, uh, they don't have that many. So maybe there's a, there's an opportunity over there, but again, you, you add six, six solid outriders to the sport, um, or to an association and that kind of really fills it up. So, um, if you demand, you know, four more outriders per race, all of a sudden now you got three outriders uh, per wagon, that's 12. Well, now you need 16, 18, you know, outriders. And then that's kind of where you get that um, big growth, in my opinion, uh, for the sport. So um, yeah, I don't know. That's just my take on it. But but you need to get more people involved uh, for sure.
0: Well, and it's also like looking ahead. I mean, Rory is in his 30s eventually he's going to stop riding eventually chad is going to stop riding uh i mean those i guess are the two older guys um on the sport so i mean eventually those spots will need to be filled
1: yeah and and those types of guys take up nine heats and stuff but you got to think there's a lot of young kids right now like uh the model willow boys and uh you know even rory armstrong if he's racing again i mean who knows what these you know, guys are doing in these times, if they're even going to come back or, or whatever, but, um, those guys will take up quite a few of those heats. Um, it's just kind of a natural progression and you're right. Um, the older guys are, you know, on the way out, I would say, I don't think that's, uh, you know, very few guys ride until they're 40. Um, the other thing is to note there is, is, uh, you know, Rory's not going to go drive a wagon. So a lot of guys aren't going to go and drive wagons. Um, so you, it's not like you have 20 outriders and you're gonna have 20 wagon drivers coming down the, the pipe there. It's, you're going to have maybe one or two. So you got to kind of account for that. And you you got to think we got to fill, you know, we did have 36 solid wagons from the WPC at one point with runoffs that had, you know, 13 wagons. 15 wagons, however many to uh, get into the WPCA and then full associations on the WCA and the CPCA. So when you think about how many wagon drivers there are nowadays compared to what there were, and you think about the competition, you know, um, how how tough it was, say, I guess it's almost 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago. um, I, I think that was the toughest wagon racing ever was. Um, and, and we're, uh, we're a long ways from that now. So, uh, that's why I just keep harping on this, that we need to, uh, start building back up for the, it's really the betterment of the sport, um, in my opinion, to make it all more competitive and, and, uh, ultimately with more competitive, everything else comes more professional, uh, all those sorts of things.
0: All that more professional leads perfectly into our interview. So a couple of weeks ago, I got to sit down and talk with John Winwick, the Vice President of uh, Sponsorship and Community at ATB. And uh, actually, there was a lot that I learned out of that podcast date. And there was a lot to that you know, interview that made me see sponsorship in a really different light, especially in these times.
1: Yeah, I, I actually missed out on that interview. Um, you did that one without me. I kind of had a hectic day, spring training. But uh, um, yeah, they, they've been awesome uh, sponsors. They've been around for a long time. They were with uh, Cody McCura last, I remember, at Stampede, actually. And they've been, you know, big sponsors of the sport and uh, active community members. So it's great that you got him on the podcast.
0: And it was really cool. Uh, we talked about, I mean, your least favorite subject, social media. So yeah. Um i i'm hoping you took some tips from that when i sent it to you and uh you know it was really interesting how we talked about the correlation between uh checks and you know mainstream sports such as hockey we talked a lot about you know kind of what we could pick from those other sports so it was kind of interesting to me uh to talk about it and you know have someone i could i guess geek out with on all this stuff that i keep thinking about
1: well if anybody knows it'd probably be a guy like john uh somebody involved with a large company like that that uh obviously he's he's the head of all those sorts of things so should be a great interview
0: and without further ado here's our interview and we are on the line with john winwick how are you doing today john
2: i'm good cass
0: how are you i am doing pretty good i'm excited to dive into this uh conversation a funny story last year when I opened up the bank account for my business I went to ATB and we were chatting and the lady who helped me open up my account said well I'll get you in touch with our VP of sponsorship and that so you can chat with him because he'd be a good guy to chat with and a year later here we are
2: (laughs) yeah that's cool
0: you have a really interesting story of kind of how you got into kind of this western sports world uh you've done a lot on the rodeo side uh yeah. so i'd love to start there and kind of we have a similar story we were both uh, city folk who uh fell in love with this crazy western world
2: yeah no doubt um so yeah real high level at the end of the day i i uh was living in edmonton um in my childhood had no connection to rodeo Aside from um, a little bit of a farming community, a, a close friend of ours, uh, his family's got probably one of the largest cow-calf operations and dairy, I think, in uh, Wainwright, and we spent a bit of time at their farm in, uh, in Wainwright, so I started to get a, an affinity for the Western lifestyle at that age, uh, quite young. Um, that would be in my, like, 8 to 12 years old and a little bit older than that. Um, and then I had a, a sister that uh, went to university and we met a mutual friend of hers who was a bull rider out of uh, Vegraville, uh, a gentleman by the name of Greg Peranich, who's still around, still a good friend of mine. And he, you know, he was on the secondary bowl circuit, but uh, saw him, uh, <laughs> didn't see it live, but he got his uh, cheek broken was and I did see him after he had his you know mouth braced up and wired up and stuff, um, and anyway, so I, I followed his career and then I ran for the board at Edmonton Northlands, which is uh, unfortunately in tough situation in the current days, but for many years was one of the best uh, Western um, rodeos, you know, longest CFR presence in Alberta, and I got on the board and first thing I gravitated to was the CFR. So I chaired that for a few years and then I became the commissioner for about nine years after that. Um, and just made a lot of friends and not only the rodeo world, but chuck wagons and uh, uh, and the, the ag side through farm Fair, et cetera. So that's kind of where my love of the sport uh, started. And then of course, as I got uh, more into my role with ATB, um got more connected to chuck wagons uh because the company has been uh we haven't for the last couple of years or three years i think but for years we were a sponsor of a tarp at uh stampede and obviously Pinoca. so yeah
0: that's i mean being a part of northlands in itself had to be a huge thing and a giant undertaking and there was probably a lot of twists and turns and learning there and I mean, I kind of want to dive into that because you understand the running of an event side, not only the sponsorship side, but what it takes to run these events and what our contestants are needing to be able to be a part of these sorts of events.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, one of my biggest learnings with Northlands was, um, and i have run other events before I I got to Northlands. Um, I'm very heavily involved with uh, professional golf and I chaired the uh, What's called what was called the Telus Edmonton Opens for nine years, Um, and that's you know a week long event, 500 volunteers, um, about 100 probably have 170 players throughout the week, and then it you know goes to 60 and ties in the weekend. So, and that dealt with everything from media, uh, sponsors, you know shifts, managing committee chairs, all the above, and I kind of learned from that and then um took that to northlands and then through cfr certainly had to learn um at a bigger scale how to manage all these amazing contestants the different uh genres in the rodeo that i had to learn very quickly everything from you know team roping i I have a very close friend that was uh today that is a team roper was a team roper um didn't know that we would become such close friends over the years but and then bull riders and all the above, uh, you know, the barrel racers having to learn that. And yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey and it certainly has helped uh, understand from event standpoint, knowing what they do at Stampede today, um, just around the chucks alone, how difficult it is to run an event. So.
0: I uh, was talking with the president of the High River Egg Society, and I asked her the question, how much does it cost to run just High River? Because it's one of the smaller events. And she said 300000 I was like, wow, that is a lot of money. And a lot of that is sponsorship from businesses like ATV.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question. Before Northland's finished, I think we were the third or fourth largest purse in North America, as an example, for a rodeo um people can go back and forth whether stampede had a higher purse or um who has the bigger impact in the community over the year i would say um stampede's bigger from a dollar uh, standpoint for sure and they do some amazing work um but northlands was right up there with the and the longest running uh canadian finals in one location in the world um other you know locations have changed but uh Unfortunately, that chapter's over. Uh, Northlands is in some tough times right now, but uh, yeah, some cool times. And um, yeah, it costs a lot of money to put these events on and you need good partners like a Northlands and the CPRA or the WPCA to make these things happen for sure.
0: Let's get more into your kind of, professional side, um, because that's really intriguing to me. So you're kind of the guy who has to deal with all of the sponsorship and partnerships and, you know, making sure that the money is being allocated to the right uh, person for an athlete or the right organization. And that's... Got to be a hard job, especially in times like these where you guys are probably getting a lot of applications right now. Uh, So, first off, are you able to travel at all with your job or are you kind of stuck in your little home office right now?
2: Yeah. uh, For the last, for the since last March, we probably had two or three situations where I traveled and one was the Gord Bamford, uh, drive-in concerts that we did across Alberta. We did 11 of those. So I was on the road for the majority of those, uh, everything from Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Red Deer, Edmonton, Calgary, Fort McMurray. And I don't believe, I can't remember if we did uh, grand Prairie, but there were a couple nights where we had two concerts back to back. And, uh, but yeah, mainly been home for the last year, which is for somebody who, uh, Used to be on the road pretty well almost every second day. Um, I have a 2014 Dodge Ram pickup, and it's got over 240,000 kilometers on it. And the majority of that is all highway miles. So um, a lot of highway travel. But uh, the best part is I get to see Albertans from across the province. So
0: Let's talk about that Gord Bamford series, because that was probably one of the most innovative um, live events and probably one of the only live events I've seen during COVID and it you guys made it happen uh, from what I know there was no repercussions from it there was no cases from it and uh, it was able to bring a community together and communities together
2: yeah it's you know it was interesting so Gord um, I'm lucky in my role because I get to meet uh, I deal a lot with professional athletes um, music professional singers Rodeo contestants, all the above. And Gord, over the years, has uh, we've done a fair amount of work with him. And he's become a pretty good buddy. And obviously his band wasn't capable of playing. Um, and he came down to Calgary and had a beer with me. Uh, to be honest, I don't mind saying we had more than one. Uh, there was a cab taken to get home, I can tell you that. But we we met and and he said he'd really like to do something for Albertans, help his band out. And we talked about, because Brett Kissel was talking about doing a drive-in concert, um, but nobody had done it the way Gord and I and ATB at the end of the day were thinking about, which was multi, you know, two nights in a row, travel the province, set up in different communities. And we did it all for mental health. So we raised over 140,000, I think it was, over the 11 concerts and I think all in we probably had about a thousand people per concert so we hit 11 locations and we did more than one concert so it was quite a large number of people we hit at a time when people couldn't really do anything so they all sold out quick Um, the concept of just being in your car or your truck and listening um, was unique and the one thing we did cast which some people don't realize is Gord wanted the music to be live and not through his radio not piped in through the radio so people had their windows open and they could hear Gord live as opposed to through the radio which we thought was unique and uh, yeah there were no cases we dealt with AHS directly on the events and yeah it turned out really well and very very positive feedback across Alberta.
0: I remember trying to get tickets to those and I couldn't do it. I tried really, really hard, but it didn't work. But that just, I that's such a positive thing for me because, I mean, it somewhat gives me hope that these committees and groups and organizations in the future can work with AHS and we can have something, which is what we need. Um, and that kind of ties into what I want to ask about here, which is, with COVID things have really changed, especially when it comes to sports. And I mean, we're talking about wagons, but I'm talking even probably a hockey and all that when they need to come for sponsorship, because they do need sponsorship dollars to get down the road to be able to get back to the businesses that sponsor them. So yes. how has COVID kind of changed this and how should people be coming about it?
2: You know, Cass, that is probably one of the best questions that people can ask. And, and so let me speak to the chuck wagons um, or even rodeo at the end of the day. I, I, I find them very similar. If you're a cowboy and I've sponsored, if, when I say I, I mean ATB. We've sponsored cowboys. We've, uh, we've done some work with um, some bull riders. Um, Zeke Thurston is under our umbrella today, Miss Rodeo Canada. So anyways, we, we've done a lot of work. And, you know, the difficult part as we speak, uh, and I think we're going to see this come to a halt, if the, if, if the projections continue the way they're going, by the end of July, the opportunity to get back face to face will probably be there um, from the numbers that we're seeing, and the discussions we're having with AHS. So um, no different than chuck wagons or rodeo or any of the events that ATB sponsors like the Folk Fest in in Calgary or the Fringe in Cal- in Edmonton. They're dependent on people seeing your brand or interacting with your brand in person. And so until we can get there, it's very difficult for, you know, someone can come to ATB today and say, we may be running at, at Stampede. And there may be some TV coverage of that, which can help your brand. But the for us, what we're looking for when we partner with somebody is how can they deliver on an experience that our customers can't get? Um, and whether that's, you know, meeting the, the driver and their, and his family and the outriders or hearing, hearing stories about their horses, you know, how, how did you buy this horse? Where did you get it? creating those memories and those stories for people to talk about. And in this COVID environment, we're limited and restricted from doing that. So we certainly know that it's difficult for a sponsor. Let's say the average sponsor tarp at Stampede would be about a hundred thousand, I would think, between let's say 80 to hundred would be average. And what you're paying for there is the opportunity to network with the, the driver, get in front, go to the barns, bring customers, Um, And you just don't have that value. Um, And so it's, to be honest, it's easier for me to take that 100,000 and use it some other way to get in front of customers than it is perhaps on the tarp. So sorry, that's a roundabout way of saying, it's a difficult time for people to separate themselves from the norm. But I believe there are ways to do that. So
0: I I bring this up quite often, and I'm a big advocate that we need to get more on social media. There needs to be a bigger social media presence. And I mean, like you said, you guys sponsor Zeke Thurston, and Zeke is really good about that. He's not the best. There are others who are a little better than him, but he's really good about getting on there and communicating. When you look at sponsorship or when someone approaches you about sponsorship, how important is social media nowadays?
2: Yeah, Cass. Again, another. Uh, it's funny because I wrote this afternoon. I took a half hour and I wrote down some of our key key metrics that we look for in a sponsorship. I mean, I have them in my head, but I just didn't want to didn't want to miss them. And the number one uh, piece these days, and when you think of your clientele, um, there's not a lot of let's say. I wouldn't. It's getting growing day to day, but there aren't a lot of farmers that are social media savvy. I can think of a few of my contacts, and they're they're in industry, in the industry. They're they're chairs of their boards for an ag society, and they're active, and they want to send a message out to their partners and to keep you know really good messaging going about Alberta beef, um, you know, crops and dairy and all the above. So those people get it. Um, but where I think chuck wagons and cowboys, and I've dealt more with the cowboys, but where I've seen the, the biggest issue is you need, as a, as for me as a sponsor, I'm looking for the ability to connect with your demographic. And you can do that through social media in a heartbeat. Um, and it doesn't take much to create a little bit of a following and build that over time so that you have your own set of demographic that we can plug into. You and I have a close friend that uh, plays in the NHL, and uh, we used to do some work with him. And uh, his wife's obviously your friend um, and a good friend of mine as well. But I remember having the discussion with him early on in his career and saying, listen, we're excited. We know we're going to get to leverage you throughout the year doing a couple of events and, you know, here and there. But there were numerous times where we said to him, we'd really like you to tweet this out because you have 300,000 followers. And we didn't do it a lot, but when we did, it made an impact. And so 100%, if you're a chuck wagon driver, if you're a cowboy, if you're a, a, a company that's trying to build a brand and it's just an added bonus for a sponsor that they can you know, kind of tag into your, um, your demographic and the people that follow you, so for sure massive and very, very important.
0: It's funny that you uh, bring up that mutual friend. And I, uh, that's kind of one of the questions I have. And I mean, you work a lot with mainstream kind of sports guys. And I don't, I say mainstream, because when you look at sports, you have your big four, which are the ones that people look at right away and then you kind of have your outliers which are like golf and uh tennis and that and then you have your fringe sports and that's kind of what we are right now we're a fringe sport uh both wagons and rodeo but what can our guys learn from people like mark giordano ryan nugent hopkins Um, even Jordan what can they learn when it comes to how to build their brand and build their marketing and you know get a sponsor like ATB to be excited about working with them
2: yeah they again phenomenal question because it's it's one of the key criteria I I don't know Cass if you follow uh, ATB or follow me on Twitter but today we announced that we um, uh, partnered with Harnarayan Singh and just as an one of our newest ambassadors. Now for us, Harner-Ian ticks a lot of boxes. Number one, I think he's got an amazing story to tell. Number two, um, he's South Asian, uh, he's a minority. He grew up in Wetaskiwin and then moved to another small town in Alberta. You know, massive reach because of his social media. He's built that because he's in a unique position. But when it comes to, you know, individual hockey players and the hockey players, there's not many that get it uh, and that understand it because it it can get you in trouble. Um, you know, a dumb tweet when you're drinking with your buddies or uh, you stand up and say the wrong thing on a Twitter comment can get you. I would look at LeBron James right now. Um, I am, I have some close friends that are police officers and I am a firm believer that uh, the, the current environment we're in is, anti-police without justification are there are there problems? Yes but for a, for an athlete like LeBron to use his platform um, to, to kind of say you're next that can just annihilate uh, if I was a sponsor of LeBron today I'd be gone and I think many other sponsors feel the same way more along the lines of they don't want conflict but sorry this is a roundabout way of getting to the how they can use it you know, you can, because of your celebrity status, you can elevate your brand by talking about unique things. Um, talk about your day-to-day, you know, uh, you know, let's use Jordan. Jordan could use um, just finished a good workout and post that on social media. The reason it, it it's valuable is because people want to know more about the individual. Now, would I recommend Jordan show pictures of his, his uh, beautiful daughter? No, because I think that's private and personal. But Jordan, Mark, uh, Nuge, there's lots of ways to build your brand and build a fan base. I, you know, here's here's the add-on to that with the chuck wagon drivers and the rodeo. I'm very very close to the CPRA and and have dealt with them for years. Um, and my biggest complaint about them, and part of it's they don't have a lot of money to do this, but it's also the the athletes is that they don't take the time to let people know, um, you know, like they should be talking about individuals like Davy uh, Davey Shields Jr. Who's the first cowboy to make over a million bucks, you know, as a rodeo cowboy. Like that's something that this is a few years back, but Davies would be a great ambassador for people to look up to, to say, this guy made a million bucks uh, during his career or was the first guy to do it. Talk about him and talk about building up the celebrity status, status of these cowboys. And I would say the same thing for the chuckwagon wagon drivers. It's, it's up to the WPCA and the CPRA to elevate the visibility, awareness, and celebrity status of these people. And if they can do that over time with the health of the athletes then you build up a following and people will want to sponsor you.
0: I, I love how you talk about how you can get in hot water and, you know, how you're going to need to work kind of as a team with the associations. Cause it's true. Just one tweet, one comment and you're done and you become the villain. And I think that's what, Kind of all Western sports are needing to get away from. We need to get ahead of it and not be villainized by the media. So we need to be able to work with sponsors and work with ourselves to build these stories. Now, you talk about building kind of an experience, and it's something we've talked about on the podcast before with one of the drivers. And the thing that's a little bit different about the chuck wagons versus, say, bull riding, the drivers can't come off a race. Just hop off yeah. the chuck, hand it off and say, here you go. I got to go sign autographs. They're the guys who go back and are going to take care of the horses and yep. take the tack off. Or some of them are even hopping off their wagon and going and outriding. So they don't get that opportunity to go and sit on the concourse and sign those autographs and be in that spotlight. So how do we build an experience that, you know, a sponsor would want while still staying true to the fact that, you know, these guys are doing the work and their families are doing the work. They don't have a team to do it for them. Uh,
2: Another good question. So, you know, I look at the Cowboys, uh, and then I'll go back to Chuck's, but I look at the Cowboys and, you know, we would get Cowboys that would come up to Hanrahan's during Stampede before their event or um, at CFR, as an example, I would, I would say to Cowboys, it's in your best interest to try to drop by this suite to meet customers, even if it's for five minutes. Um, and I know how busy the drivers are, um, but there are other opportunities to um, connect with customers. You could connect during um, other hours. You could open up an opportunity to meet off-site. You could, um, you could do a Zoom call, which aside from this year, um, where, where we've all kind of lear- learned this, um the technology's been there people could have you could have done a zoom call once the horses are fed right you've you've put them down they're good they're ready for the night and the person could take 10 minutes or just to talk to some customers um but i think there are unique ways in any situation to figure out how you connect with your customers um and we've done it over the years and it it really works and people I'll tell you one thing you want to build a fan base once somebody meets you. And if you're, if you're personable and you can talk to them and have a good, good discussion, which we've, we at ATD have had lots of great, uh, Chad Harden, Lane McGillory and a whole bunch of others have been our, uh, our, uh, drivers for years. Um, and they built up a rabid fan base and they built it up very quickly just from meeting with people, shaking their hand and telling them a little bit about yourself. So, um, you know, the other component is the, the barn tours that we do at Stampede. Um, those are fan favorites of our customers. They get to walk back, meet the family, meet the outriders, and actually meet the driver before before they go out. And the driver has to eat so he can sit in the back area and have a meal with, right? We've done that with ATV for years, and it's been uh, massively successful. So I, I think there are opportunities that you can find. It's just being creative.
0: You talk about having those guys as your drivers in the past and what is like if someone were to ask you what is the benefit of being a sponsor for a chuck wagon team what would you tell them besides Chad coming up with a uh, mascot named Skippy?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember that well Um, well so there's a couple things that a sponsor is looking for. Number one and different sponsors look for different things so I think that's really up to If you're talking to somebody, it's really up to the rider or his team to find out what you're looking for. Um, In our case, it was a customer experience, something unique. Um, There is some cachet with having your name on a tarp. Um, And so, you know, we didn't mind being involved in having a tarp over the years. So some people are looking for brand recognition at the event, so, you know, being able to bet on your tarp as it went by is a big deal. Others are looking for, you know, what's that unique experience you can deliver? And that was for us, it was the barn tours. Um, And then there were other opportunities throughout the year where we would elevate these people, you know, have them, you know, I don't think I've ever had one of our ambassadors ever reach out to me and say, listen, you do an AGM once a year. Is there any chance I could come by and say hi to some of your customers during the AGM? Or just show up and listen to how the company did. Those are the types of things that I believe people are looking for. They're not difficult. They're not going to cost you a lot of money. Um, and I, I will say, Chad Harden was very good about this. If I wanted Chad at an event and Lane and the others, uh, the other names escape me, but you know, we've had such great relationships with these people that if if they if you reached out to them and said, "I've got an event in Pinoca," um, and I'm hosting some customers. And even though it's the rodeo, you're in that industry, would you come out? And they were always 100% supportive of coming out. So yeah.
0: I love hearing about that, and yeah, I, uh, I I know that Chad is very good about going out and talking to his sponsors, and pretty much all the guys are. They they want to be they want to be a part of that sponsorship community because I mean, a that's who's helping feed the horses, and yeah. B that's how we're going to build fans is if we build those uh, connections with our sponsors. So this yeah. kind of builds into like, how do you choose the right fit? Uh, do you guys look at like yeah I'm sure you have a checklist I know you have a checklist actually I've looked at the sponsorship package Um, but should the drivers and like the associations and committees that are applying for these sponsorships really they should probably have their own checklist to make sure that there are like it aligns because there's no point in getting into a relationship business-wise or anything if you don't align with the messaging and with the communication.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the kind of checklist that we would have tell the story of how I met Jordan Eberle, um, and then met his wife, Lauren over time and, um, have become pretty good friends with them over the years. Um, we were looking for an athlete, no different than a chuck wagon driver. We wanted to make sure that Jordan was the type of person that I was comfortable putting in front of our customers. And that he had the values that we we have as a company, that we would have access to him. I knew I knew he lived, at the time, he was living in Edmonton. I was living in Edmonton. And I knew we both had a love of golf. And there was opportunity to leverage that in the summers when he wasn't playing. And so, you know, all of those things played a factor in choosing Jordan over, and I won't mention the other individual. We, we were looking at two players with the orders at the time. And the other player, when I met him through his mom at an event, um, he could barely look at me. He, his mother introduced me because she was a, we had her in the suite and then I went down to meet the other player Um, and he could barely look at me and he was just a shy individual and I'm not, not taking anything away from him, but I could tell he wouldn't be very good with our customers. Jordan, on the other hand, when we sat down for lunch with him to do kind of an interview. Uh, It was myself and my boss at the time. Um, We just talked general about Jordan, his life, his goals, um, where he grew up, all that type of stuff. And then at the end of the interview, he said, uh, you know, this is really the first business interview I've ever had in my life. You know, how did I do? And he chuckled and I knew immediately that that was the type of person that I could put in front of my customers. And the same thing for chuck wagon drivers, you know, you need to be personable, you need to be somebody that's a little bit outgoing and you just kind of have to tick the boxes for the organization. Um, we're not looking for somebody that has to do a, a, a really good speech, but we, they just have to be people um, that can correlate and connect with, with other people. And it's, I think we all know enough farmers and, and uh, people that live the Western way of life and shaking somebody's hand and looking them in the face when you do that is uh, is something you learn as an early child. So um, that's one of the reasons I love rodeo chuck wagons. They're down to earth, very connected people. And they're easy to get in front of the CEO of a major corporation.
0: Perfect. I have one last question specifically on sponsorship. And then I'll dig into a little bit of your favorite memories of chuck wagon racing and that. And, yeah. Uh, how important is a sponsorship package when it comes to these guys approaching you and having something put together saying, this is what I can do for you, um, how important is is the professionalism of it and I mean what catches your eye I remember in school we used to be given the big speech about resume writing and this that and the other thing and I guess sponsorship packages are kind of the new resume or um a lot of people call them the brand pack so that's kind of uh the new resume I guess you could say
2: yeah um so here's my two cents Uh, I do a lot of work my my specialty for the last 14 years of my banking career has been, I mean, outside of work, I have volunteered, I have chaired boards, I've learned a lot there. Um, and so I've seen sponsorship packages my entire career because of the involvement I've had in different, you know, the TELUS opens, um, you know, the uh, PGA Tour Canada, rodeo, et cetera. So what I would say is, is it important? Yes. Um, what's more important is is in, in my opinion you can we tell people to go to our website and fill in the form and i know cass you've, you've seen the package that we have on the website it just basically weeds people out if you're not you know if you're part of the nazi group of alberta i'm sorry we have no time we're not going to sponsor you that's not within our our playing area um, but you know presenting a proposal I would fill whatever you have to fill out online and then make sure that when you do have the comment section that you say, this is what I believe I can bring to the table, but I would really like the opportunity. And, and I, I always tell people this and I'm very aggressive about it. You probably don't want to deal with a sponsor that doesn't take, doesn't want to take 15 minutes of their time or half hour of their time to hear your story. And, because I can tell you, I can look at a document and within five minutes, I can tell you whether there's a little bit of value there or no value to the company. And so do your best to you know educate the person on what you think you can deliver, but really push to get that one-on-one discussion. And the good companies, I spend the majority of my time, I have an amazing team uh, that works with me. I have a, a managing director that kind of does a ton of the The legwork did a day, and certainly she does a lot of the strategy as well. But I spend the majority of my day talking to people that have applied to be partners of ours. And I think I owe it to them to at least hear their story. And so I just push people to do the best you can in the the package, um, tell people what you believe you can offer, and then really ask for that opportunity to get in front of them just to walk through, to ask them what they're really looking for, right? Because people think oh, you're a bank, you're just looking for brand awareness. Well, no, we get lots of awareness. We're on we're on TV, we're in social media. But what is it that we're really trying to, to target? And, you know, rural Alberta, for us, our ag business, we're one of the largest ag partners in the province. And so rural Alberta is important to us. And therefore, we want to be where our customers are. And as you know, they show up to Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Red Deer, Pinoka, The One of my all-time favorite rodeos in Northeast Alberta, uh, Lee Park Rodeo. And and the reason I say that is I made some great friends at CFR and they become, and I go up to see their rodeo now, but those are our customers and we want to be in front of those customers in those environments. So that's sorry that was a long-winded, but the really important part of that is do your best, provide as much information as possible, but really ask for that, even if it's 15 minutes to to get a better idea of what the sponsor is looking for. And then maybe you can respond later with additional details.
0: That's really interesting to hear. And you know that, that just for me when it comes to our podcast, that kind of like solidifies things because sponsorship for me is a scary business. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. So let's uh, talk a little less about shop and let's hear some of your favorite chuck wagon memories. I know that you have a lot of rodeo memories, but uh, I want you to dig deep and I want to hear a few of your favorite chuck wagon ones.
2: Uh, Well, I guess so. one One of the ones that stands out for me is I was on the board at Northlands and we were hosting the chuck wagons and I was standing on the tarmac when the horses, the one horse, the lead on one of the horses broke and it just turned right and went right in front of all the other horses. Um, And the uh, uh, Les Butler is the gentleman's name, who was the guy in charge of the racetrack. Um, I think he's been around horses all his life. Jumped the fence and uh, very bravely got right into the middle of that and probably saved some horses' lives because they were down and panicking and um, uh, and probably saved some human lives as well. So that one sticks out for me. Um, But, you know, to be honest, all of the over the years, and I've been the chuck wagons in, uh, in Edmonton, um, as long as I can remember, as long as they were there, and certainly Stampede. um, There isn't one specific memory. um, But it's, it's the environment of watching the Chucks and just being there at the finish line and, you know, hearing the horses go, go by and then the outriders and there's no better feeling than seeing that live. Um, Having, I know Stampede is an example, CBC covers it nationally, but there is no better experience or or live experience in my mind than Chuck wagons in the dirt, unbelievable experience. If
0: Northlands ever could you know, come back from where it is right now, do you think there could be the possibility of bringing chuck wagons back to Edmonton?
2: It's just, so that's, um, it's interesting. I I literally believe from the last discussion I had with somebody that I no longer sit on the board uh, because I moved to Calgary. So I had to give up my share, but I'm still very in tune with what they're doing. I I know they have interest in bringing back uh, the rodeo. Um, Chuck wagons would be an interesting one. Um, And the only reason I say interesting is because we're not sure what's going to happen with the racetrack. So we don't no longer have horses there. It's I think it's basically done. Um, And we don't know what the city who now owns that entire property is going to do with, with that land. And I think, unfortunately if you give it a year to two years that that entire facility will be demolished and it'll become apartments or some type of uh, structure but um, there is a new racetrack in Edmonton and who knows whether they would have interest Um, again it costs a lot of money just to um, just to run the event and house the the horses and you know feed water Um, keep changing the track over from horse racing. As people know, you have to change the track over and it's actually fairly expensive to do. Um, And it takes a lot of labor. So uh, who knows? I'm a huge fan and I think there are corporations that would step up um, to help again. And there's numerous groups that probably will step up if the opportunity exists. Uh, But there's a lot of hurdles to jump through for sure.
0: And uh, I guess since there hasn't been any rodeo or wagons, you say that you're a golf fan. So how's your golf game going?
2: Well, my so I haven't golfed this year. I had my lowest round. And so let me just put a caveat on this. Uh, I'm just an average golfer. I'm not a ringer by any stretch. I had my best round of my life last year in Kananaskis, uh, shot a 78. Uh, My average score would be mid, mid to upper eighties. So uh, take that with a grain of salt, but I just love the game. And I have, I'm very lucky to have uh, numerous friends uh, like Jordan. Mark Giordano loves to golf and he's here in the summer. Uh, So I get out with them as much as I can over the summer. Um, I just find it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great way to spend four or five hours with some friends and, um, I think uh, this summer I'm going to get out as much as I can because it's been a really tough winter for everybody. So are you a golfer Cass? I didn't even ask.
0: I am. I nice. am not very good.
2: <laughs> you don't have to be good to enjoy the sport. That's the best part.
0: I can hit the ball. I actually keep my own uh, golf stats in my phone and my stats include how many balls I've lost, how many tees I've broken. Yeah. how many hot dogs I've had and how yeah. many beers I've had. Nice.
2: Those are
0: those are my stats.
2: <laughs> I have different stats, but, um, I love the sport at the end of the day. And the funny thing is I have, um, I've been very blessed to meet people over the years through rodeo, hockey, et cetera, et cetera, curling, um, and football as an example. So it's funny how many of those people golf and, uh, um, as an example, I mentioned Davy Shields Jr., um, just an amazing rodeo guy, but didn't know him that well when he rodeoed. And then I finally got to meet him after. And now we've become very good friends and we golf quite a bit over the summer together. And it's just something that we uh, have a lot of love for. So um, very blessed to have met lots of people. Uh, and I think, you know, Jordan and I get out a few times a year as well. And uh, it's always nice to catch up. So.
0: I've heard you tell a story about Jordan being a late for a tea time once upon a time. And uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I texted Lauren right after and I said, here's the time code. You have to go listen to this. And she <laughs> texted me back and was dying laughing.
2: Yeah. So that, that one, um, if I could tell the story, high level, uh, through Jordan, I met his mom and his dad. Uh, and his brother, one of his brother, and his, actually all of his, i met his entire family over time, but his dad and I have become pretty good buddies over the years. We're about the same age. And so there's an annual golf tournament that we play in Canmore to support Hockey Alberta, um, the Hockey Alberta Foundation. And Jordan graciously has always shown up and supported us, helped us raise money. Um, but the one year I'm in the golf cart with his dad and Jordan and Jordan, um, I wish I could remember all the other guys' names that were were out with him drinking the night before, and they had gone into Banff, and I think they got, to be honest, I'm telling stories out of school. They hadn't done anything bad. They were just drinking, but I think they got back. All of them kind of got back from Banff at four in the morning, maybe later, missed their wake-up call. We're out on the golf course, and, of course, these people have paid big money to golf with Jordan right? And so there's these, these, this cart drives by and we look over and there's one person in one cart and two people in the other cart. And I, and I, I kind of knew who the people were. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Ed's cart. Where the hell is he? And then literally no word of a lie within 30 seconds, this cart comes by with Jordan. And you could just see he was literally tying his shoes up as he drove by us to get onto the cart with his, with his customers. And then I looked over at his dad, uh, whose name is Darren and Darren, you can just see the look on his face. Um, Like basically I'll have a talk with my son after this is all over. But to Jordan's credit, he was there the entire, after that, he was there the entire day spent more time with those guys than you could have imagined. Um, And anyways, it's, it's a fun story to tell, but um, you know, I I can't cut Jordan down because he's been out there, supporting hockey alberta foundation um for god his entire nhl career so uh kudos to him but it was it is a funny story and we still bring it up today so
0: i had a good giggle at that because uh me and lauren have done a lot of work together and she's super punctual so i was like oh that's oh god yeah Uh, that's really funny. I love hearing those stories. And I love how, you know, these your sponsorships have brought these people into your life and you're able to have these connections. And I mean, I think that's I think you are a true testament to kind of the relationships that should be had with a sponsor. Cause I don't I haven't heard stories of other sponsors who've built the relationships with their uh people to the point where you can text them and ask help moving a shed. so <laughs> I feel like there there's a lot that uh, goes into this and yes I was listening to the radio that morning when the guys started picking on you so I apologize oh, for boy that
2: did they. <laughs> yeah can I tell that story Cassius
0: absolutely that... go for it
2: yeah so I so there's two points to this story one is um we go out of our way to make sure Like, let me use Jordan as an example, and then I'll talk about the shed story very quickly. But if Jordan Everley or his mom or Lauren or her dad, his dad, ever came to us and said, "I know your your partnerships with Jordan, but I'm doing some work over here. Could you help us out?" Um, Not many people know that Jordan's mom, Lisa, is a huge volunteer with the Calgary. I'm gonna call it the Buffaloes. I'm pretty sure it's the Calgary Buffs. The Buffs. Yeah. Right. So Lisa would reach out to me the odd time and say, "John, I hate to ask, but could you guys help us with a, you know, a a jersey or uh, an autograph, something, or is there something you can do from the curling side or what have you?" And I think it's incumbent on an organization like ATB or any sponsor to build up a relationship with your partner. Um, so that you're not only just doing business together, that you become friends over time. Now, that's not going to work in every situation, but um, I've been blessed that it has in mine. And when it comes to Mark Giordano, which you're, this is the the joke, this past summer, I was, sorry, it was two years ago because it wasn't during COVID. Um, I was building a shed in my backyard and it, it quite large right? I had the base and the the walls and the roof. And I called a couple of close friends and asked them if they would come over and help me take the shed from the garage where we had built it and move it to the side of the house. No one was available. So I picked up the phone and I called Gio and um, I guess a little arrogant on my part. I mean, it's a Norris Trophy winner, uh, captain of the flames, you know, one of the top defensemen in the NHL. But I called him and said, hey, buddy, I need some labor. Would you come over and move this shed for me? And he's like, 100%, when do you want me there? So he came over, um, moved the shed. As he was there, we finished. And, you know, the the inevitable kids walked by, and they're like, holy crap, it's Mark Giordano. And he signed some autographs. And then he said, okay, got to go, Johnny. And he was gone. And um, the next morning, um, basically on the air, uh, the boys from the FAN 960 are talking to Mark and and they say, so what have you been doing all summer? And he's like, ah, you know, working, I've been golfing, working out on a regular basis. Um, I helped a buddy move a shed yesterday. Uh, And they stopped right there and said, what idiot calls the captain of the flames, the Norris trophy winner, Muhammad Ali winner, et cetera, et cetera. What idiot calls, you know, the captain to move a shed for him. And he sheepishly said, Um, and they, the boys on the fan 960, we've worked with them, um, numerous times and they know that Mark and I are buddies. Um, and Mark told them who it was. And that's, that's where the comment, what idiot asked the captain of the Calgary flames to move a shed. So my phone blew up that morning, um, at 6 30, I think it was 6 30 in the morning. That's all I got for like a week is who asks the captain to move a shed. So that's the story. And it's, it is a funny one.
0: I was working the morning shift that day, and I was sitting on my computer, and the, the guys would take clips from their interviews, and that's exactly what the clip said. It rolled down the bottom of my screen, and it said, what idiot? And I was like, okay, I got to listen to this. What are they doing? <laughs> and I clicked on it. and I was like, oh, gosh, guys.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I'll be honest, I can't remember if they if Mark said my name on air, I'm not you must have because he had to because my phone blew up. So um, it was it was funny, but that I will tell you that, you know, Jordan and Lauren do a lot of community work. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins does a lot of work. Um, Giordano, Mark and his wife Lauren are unbelievable in the community. And that's another another aspect of sponsorships that I think people forget if you're a chuck wagon driver and you've got a passion for a charity, sponsors love that. So don't be afraid to talk about that. Um, you know, Mark's Mark and Lauren have a charity that helps underprivileged children in schools. Uh, everything from healthy eating to mental health, all the above. Um, I know Jordan and Lauren do a lot. Nuge does work with a, a, a disease that I'm very close to that, uh, I've worked with for 30, 32 years, cystic fibrosis. And um, so that's another component that people should remember. If you've got a charitable component, that's just another another way to hit your anchor to a sponsor. So
0: I, I think that it's interesting and it kind of loops back to something I didn't mention, but you do a lot of work with the rodeo sports medicine team. And I find that very interesting because I mean, the sports med team in itself, Is just that it covers a bunch of bases, it's dealing with you know, um, physical health, mental health, um, all these things that I think we don't touch on enough. Um, we're starting to more as a western sports world, but there's still a lot of gaps that are being missed, and the sports medicine team does an amazing job. Of kind of, you know, covering those. And I would love to see uh, them be more a part of the wagon side of things. I know that's, they only have so many volunteers who can go to so many events and be a part of so yeah. many things. But I would love to see that because it would just show that there is movement in the sport. And I think that's what the sports med team has brought. And that also kind of ties in with golf because there is the golf tournament that goes along with the sports med team.
2: Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I, again, that was just through rodeo connections and uh, building some friendships over the years. And, and um, one of the Brandon told me, I'm not sure if you know Brandon, but um, physiotherapists, he owns a physiotherapy company in, in uh, called Prairie therapy on 17th Ave. There's a plug for my buddy. Um, Anyways, he's, he is also my physical uh, physiotherapist. Um, but he asked me if I would have interest in helping out. And I was, I jumped in at a heartbeat because of, you know, they're working on two sides. Number one, they're, they're keeping athletes going. So when they get injured, they repair them, get them healthier, get them prepared to, to continue to, to, uh, rodeo. But the other one is they've, they've also seen the mental health side, which the, they're very connected to Tide, Posibon Foundation um, and mental health is a major issue for all sports. And there's no question that within Chucks, it's probably something that hasn't been addressed. And, um, you know what, I'll bring that back to the, to the foundation to see if there's any, any way that, uh, um, that they could play a part in that in some capacity. I know their resources are pretty spread pretty thin and they have a tough enough time covering rodeos today, but, um, it is a great organization and, you know, the golf tournament is just another way to raise some money to help that uh, that group. So we'll be doing that again in September, I think, this year.
0: I love hearing about the sports med team. And we've had Dr. Bug on um, yeah. one of the other podcasts uh, outside the wagon. And I love just hearing about what they're doing because Chuck Wiggins is very unique. And we're one of the few Western sports that guys can do till they're 60.
2: Yeah. Which. Yeah, no doubt.
0: And that still takes a strain on your body because.
2: Yeah, there's no question. Um, uh, I, I, you know, again, I think it comes down to funding and the opportunity to, you know, to be there in some capacity. But uh, Blaine is, you know, is our chair of that committee and does a phenomenal job. And then we've got individuals or, you know, Keenan Vine from the Stampede that uh, kind of manages the rodeo, I believe. And then Jeff Robson from a CPRA and a few other just amazing people that have all stepped up to keep that program going. Um, and, you know, it just it keeps our athletes going down the road to be able to compete. So i um, very proud of the work they do.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I'm glad we got to do this and I'm glad we didn't do it yesterday, which was a hockey day. Cause that would have been very sad for both of us.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though I'm not quite sure whether I'd be sad, I missed the ending of that. But I, uh, I'm very glad we connected. It's uh, very funny how there is that six degrees of separation for everyone. And um, we had quite a few degrees of separation, which I never realized. And uh, yeah. I'm sure our paths probably crossed once upon a time at the 960, if you ever came into the office, because um, yeah. I was always there. I never left. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm really glad we got to chat about this as you can probably tell sponsorship is something I think about constantly is how can we move this sport forward and it was nice to chat with someone like yourself who has a really good idea about that and uh can um kind of chat about it uh one last thought how important is it for people to use the products they're asking to sponsor
2: wow good one so we, we never have, um, like if I look at our ambassadors, um, I know a few of them deal with ATB um, and that's their choice. We never, we never ask them that it's part of, you know, that you have to get an ATB savings account or a MasterCard or, you know, have your mortgage with us. What, what we do say to people is, um, we know you have financial requirements, and we think we're the best in Alberta. And if, if you need a second opinion, we'd love to have your business. Um, what I would say is more important um, is understanding the organization. Because um, I'm not gonna ask Mark Giordano to talk about a savings account and the benefits of a savings account. But what I am gonna ask Mark to talk about is the fact that we do a lot in the community. We're one of the best and you know the most visible banks in the province. Um, I would put our bank against any other organization in the province and or you know out, even outside of banking, the amount of work that we do in the communities across the province. Um, we're there at all the major events. We run our own events and we're very active. Um, so it's really just more understanding who your partners are. Um, you know if you've got a deal with Ford and you're not driving a Ford that might look that might look a little awkward um, or dodge. But it's really just understanding your partner, not, not necessarily um, signing up and making sure you have a savings account, because I think that's fake to begin with. Um, we would rather earn your business uh, over time, and which we have with a few of our, our ambassadors. So. Um, but just more knowledge about the company. That's all you really need to know.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you again for John for joining us and, uh, you know, for sharing those stories. Uh, I really liked the fact that, you know, my two passions collided and I was able to talk not only about Chuck wagon racing, but there was a couple of hockey stories in there as well. So that was pretty fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks to John for uh, coming on again. That's awesome to have him.
0: Uh, date, could you ever imagine asking the captain of the Calgary flames to come and help out on the uh, ranch?
1: Well, maybe my dream. That's about it. We could do it, or we could do a content piece, a promo, or something after the nine. Once we get big enough, of course.
0: There we go. Throwing that out to Mark Giordano.
1: Yeah, that's right. He'll probably hear this.
0: All right. Uh, let's talk about spring training. We, uh, you know, we need to talk about what's happening now, not just, you know, the future of the sport. Uh, so let's talk about your barn date. Um. How are things going? What horses are really standing out for you right now?
1: I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, I was down in Iowa buying horses, and uh, we have about well, I say we. I'm training with Dad this year down south in Okatoks, and, and we had about I don't know 18 of these Iowa horses. um And again, they you know closed down their truck wagon circuit down there, so basically we had all these horses that were. You know, kind of truck wagon broke and, and uh, we're, we're ready to race on the wagon. So we bought a bunch of them and, and you know, brought them down for up north, I guess. And uh, anyways, the first spring training we have with them because we didn't spring train last year because we had no races for the coronavirus. So we're kind of feeling it out. And, and uh, we've been eyeballing these horses for a couple of years now. And uh, it's kind of exciting because we're, we're driving them. And, and we actually um, ran the other day, not full speed or anything the horses thought they were running it really wasn't that fast but um we got to see kind of you know what they're made of so um it's it's pretty exciting um out of the whole i got what did i get i got mm, seven of them and uh out of seven i got for sure one that i'm pretty confident that we'll get in some serious races this year and that i'll be you i'm very confident that i'll be using him for you know years to come his name's reno um he's a right leader he's uh he's just a dream to drive he's very very soft to turn i love a horse that turns um and and he's very quick he can keep up with the best of them uh, he's not the most aggressive horse in the world uh you know i don't he's not like a not starting a wagon or nothing and, and i don't think he's winning any races to the top but um, he, he, he's really, really easy to turn and, uh, that makes it nice when you have a bunch of tough horse to drive, like I always have. So yeah, um, I'm really excited about him. I think he's going to get in a lot of races. That's Reno and, uh, he, he's good looking too. And he's young and he's sound. And, and, uh, so it's just a lot of, a lot of things looking up for him. There's another one, um, called, uh, I call him Brad. So long story short, kind of a weird name for a horse. I understand, but there was a, uh, my, my friend, my little buddy um, was he's five and uh, him and his parents, Dallas and Nathan and his sister Emma, Faye and Bradley helped uh, me down the road last year or two years ago, 2019 WCA. And they basically, you know, traveled with us and, and all this, uh, you know, helped us pack up and, and show to show and yada, yada, yada. And it was a long season and, and um, Brad had a hamster and uh, you know, he's my little buddy. So Um, he called, he named the, I didn't know any of this. And and he named this hamster Dayton Sutherland. So, you know, his mom thought that was pretty funny and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, long story short, I'm buying horses that fall. And, uh, so I bought a horse and named it Bradley. So, um, Bradley ends up being one of the best horses out of Iowa, if not the best, um, formerly known as joy and now Bradley. Um, he was a right leader down in Iowa. Um, but, uh, I'm probably going to use them on the left lead. Maybe I'll use them on the right. Um, their, their wagons—we're starting to understand now, me and dad, that their wagons weren't, they they just don't turn like us. They don't go as fast as us. They don't, um, charge out like us. So there's a lot of mechanics that are just different for these horses right now. So horses that would work on the right lead down there aren't necessarily quick enough. Uh, they'll get jerked around or you're, they're just lost more or less, um, turning with our horses so um anyways but this horse is just you know he's a big black horse kind of got a honestly i'll be honest kind of got an ugly head but um big black horse head down just pulls the whole way he's he's a dream leader um and he's young too again and uh you know he starts pretty hard and uh so so he's one i'm really excited about down the line not sure where he fits in this summer, especially because it's going to be such a sh- uh, short summer. We're not going to get a full season in. So it's not like I'm going to need, you know, all these right leaders and left leaders. And those are those are two I'm pretty stoked on. Um, I got one horse that, that's, uh, he, he only had about six races in Iowa. And uh, he, so he, so he's pretty young. He's, I don't know, he's 10 years old now or something like that. He's a bit older when they bought him off the track. And his name's, name's Ray and uh he's he's over on the knees walleye um so you know two strikes there but he's uh pretty big and just a ton of heart and i just love that that's why i love these horses because they just have so much heart and and certain ones just have so much more to give than the rest and this is one of those horses this horse is just like anytime you hook him it's just like hello look out he's just you know gone so it's uh he's uh, he's not like the most broke thing in the world, and and uh, I honestly don't know how much talent he has. But uh, you know, in spring training, everything looks pretty good. So um, just driving him for the you know first few times, he's he's kind of exciting for a new prospect. And then of course got all the old boys still. Uh, yeah, all the all the regulars. Bogart's still the mainstay on the right lead on the long barrel. Um, dad's old horse there, uh, Kodiak is probably going to be my good, uh, right wheeler this year on the long barrel, we call him kid killer Kodiak cause he's injured about 900 people on the farm. He's kind of a maniac, not intentionally. He's just very skittish and, and, uh, just blows up sometimes. So that's kind of neat. All those horses feel really good this year. I had a lot of really young horses, um, you know, in 2019 and, uh, they're really turning the corner um this year so that's exciting I (laughs) that was my hour monologue on my horses. I can go longer if you want to (laughs) I got more
0: I no, I'm uh, laughing how Kodiak's name has changed over you know the past two years because it was just knuckle killer last time I saw him and now it's kid killer
1: (laughs) no no no. it was always kid killer because he he so he the the where he got the nickname from was mm, this was I don't know, two years after I got him or something, uh, we were spring training up north in Grand Prairie and it's basically me, my grandpa, my cousin, tough. Um, he wasn't racing that year. Maybe he was, I forget, but, um, and then my uncle Dean, um, and Dean and tough, they race on the WCA. And then I was on the WPC at that time and grandpa wasn't racing, but we all trained together. And so we're, um, done hooking an outfit for the day and it's my outfit. So, um, Tough's you know, everyone's turning the horses out to the pen and someone's running the gate or whatever. And here comes tough with Kodiak coming up to the gate. And I don't know what I said, uh, too tough at the time. Um, but whatever happened, Kodiak bolted through the gate, just like some hot horses will and, uh, tough, just wild pony race that and held on the shank and drug around with him for a while and uh, snapped his collarbone and, and got up and he was just all bent out of shape and whatever. So tough um, was only like 14 or something at the time. So that's where he gets the name kid killer and Kodiak literally did the same thing to me this year. Um, it wasn't in the, wasn't the same scenario, but we you know we were walking around in the pen and I was trying to catch other horses and he flew back and rope burned in my hand and my hand was all bloody for, you know, a week or two, still got the one cut. So he's just a hot horse. He's just a, maniac he's really really sweet personality um you know you get him in a quiet time he's very very gentle he's just i don't know what's going on in his head it's just sometimes there's just bombs going off in his head and he's just exploding which is um he's got all that energy and and, uh that's part of what makes him such a special jack wagon horse so that's where he got kid killer from Poor tough yeah he was he was pretty upset because at the time he's like you know he's like he's holding his shoulder and whatever and I was like well, what does it feel like you know I broke a lot of bones and and I don't think he had broken the bone at that point and he goes I don't know it hurts it hurts it blah, blah blah and I was like well it doesn't look that bad can you touch it he's like touching it and he's like yeah I can kind of touch it I think oh he and I start touching they go oh you can touch it it's not broken and meanwhile I think I don't know if he got surgery this collarbone was like snapping out it. it was pretty gnarly so um yeah not a doctor either shocker
0: well, that has to be about four years ago, because then he just turned 18 or something.
1: Yeah, he did, actually. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, it'd be about four. Yeah, four or five. Yeah, I don't know how long it was ago, but uh, I want to say it was his first year driving a wagon, because I think he actually missed his first race at Grand Prairie because he had a phone from my horse, but uh, I could be wrong.
0: Uh, you know, they, you say you got a load of donkeys, but they always give entertaining stories. <laughs>
1: yeah it's it's uh, never a dull moment uh, i could go down the list i got all kinds of uh they're kind of like the, they're not they're, they're not um i don't know how you would say it they're they're uh, uh problem horses that's a nice way of putting it um a lot of them are just uh i and honestly i think i got a thing for those types of horses if i was looking through dad's barn and and we're going through his new horses and driving them and whatever and i'm like
2: oh man i really
1: like that horse and we're talking and of course i like the craziest horse and i like the one that it's always, you know, jittering around and vibrating. And I, I don't know, it's like, like those types of horses, I see something in them. So, um, I got a barn full of them too.
0: You no, know, it's funny that you say that. Cause we talked last week and there's the one horse that you can spot from your guys's property on the highway. It's a new gray kind of steely color horse. And I mean, you said that you're like, uh, dad's not a huge fan, but I love them. And I'm like, well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Dad can't stand the horse because he's like that. And, and uh, well, no, I mean, there's other things. Um, um, and he tried hooking them and just wasn't like a stellar, wasn't blowing anybody's doors off on the wagon and then, uh, tried out riding them and, and Rory actually really liked them, but, uh, I don't know, dad just doesn't like those types of horses and it's kind of funny as you go in dad's barn or or in dad's pen and all the horses are for the most part really calm and really gentle and they're all like really well mannered and and, um very smart yeah my barn they're just kicking the doors off and they're just vibrating and rules got his feet over top of the stall like looking at you from the top rope he's just yeah it's just insane but i love it great energy in there um, that's the other thing, too. Is mine, I got a lot of really young horses, or um, Bogart's my oldest horse. But other than that, I got, you know, basically 10 is my oldest horse. So they do calm down with age. That's the other thing.
0: So, all right. Um, I guess that is something to note. Um, there is a couple of lineup changes.
1: I don't know. Are we supposed to talk about this? I wonder.
0: I mean, it's already out there.
1: Yeah. So Logan's off. Um, going to CPCA going back. Yeah. Luke's going back. I, I don't know. The most surprising one is Logan. Um, actually with our first episode ever, um, on after the ninth Logan, after he won Calgary, uh, with Calgary being out, I don't find it that surprising because that's where those guys live. They live over in that country. So it's like, you know, a few hours from home versus you're going to high river. It's like six hours from home. So it's, it's a lot more of a hassle. And if there's no Calgary, um, Pinocchio's pushback, it's just like, you know, they're coming all this way for, you know, a couple, not, they're not poor shows. It's just that there's not that overwhelming money that really makes your season worth it, uh, being Calgary. And, and uh, if Pinocchio stuck to their guns and, and went on their dates and maybe those guys would have stayed, I don't know. Um, Luke, it seems like, ever since the Calgary thing, uh, last year he was done regardless, but yeah, Logan was kind of surprising, but you know, maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. Um, it's, it's, it's really going to shake up the, the wagon world. Um, you know, this coronavirus in the last couple of years here, so who knows uh, what else is coming down the pipe, but
0: yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting because I mean, you've really, um admired Luke and I mean if we go back to the race review you always were commenting on his hands and how fast his hands were and um he was a really tough wagon and then Logan is a really tough wagon as well so it's gonna be interesting
1: yeah well I mean Luke his his resume is is set in stone um he was winning and racing when times were tough uh and like you know I think he's winning Calgary in like 05 when there was a uh, just a monster lineup and uh 06 and and around that era. So um Luke's proven it in in multiple decades, uh multiple times of the sport. So uh him going to CPCA, I mean, I, I think he sold his good outfit too. Word on the street has it. Um that's just from the rumor mill. So I don't know if that's true, but uh that's what I heard. So like I don't know if he's gonna be dominating over there or anything um that that guy though who knows he can get some horses going pretty quick and, and turn things around so um but he I, point is is i don't think he has to be on the wpca to to prove anything anymore especially if he's got no plans of racing in calgary um you know he was running real tough when he left and and uh you know we we've watched him for enough years and he's going to go down as one of the best girl turners uh all time
0: All right well that uh i guess wraps it up uh thank you dayton for chatting with me um reminding people that women the wiggins has now moved to fridays uh every other week so that's pretty exciting um just to kind of coincide with this we have a really exciting episode coming out uh next for after the ninth so i'm looking forward to it it's one that I guess it's been on my bucket list since we started. Right?
1: Yeah, um, we're, we're kind of doing a couple of different flavors, different looks here uh, with John on this episode. And then the next one is a little bit different than our, you know, standard Chuck wagon guy. How many horses do you have? Where did you grow up? So a uh, little bit different. And uh, it was pretty fun conversation, too. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him and uh, be excited for that one, too.
0: And then uh, eventually we will get back to our regular programming and um, who knows, maybe uh, once things start to open up, I can sit Dayton and his dad down and get them to chat. This
1: summer could be big. It could be big. Uh, If we have some wagon races and uh, I'm around and and, uh, yeah, we could get a lot of stuff done, maybe actually get a bit more serious with this thing and do some content and video pieces and and, uh, all kinds of fun stuff we could do potentially if uh we ever get opened up so should be a good summer
0: we've been good we live 10 minutes away from each other but we're following the rules i'd like to say i'm proud of this make sure to go and follow us at after the ninth on instagram facebook and twitter uh you can follow me at cast on air you can find dayton on instagram dayton sutherland but you probably won't see many photos from him just giving people a heads up and uh i guess until next time bye guys (laughs)
2: He's got that wagon in full flight. Here's the wire! But that's a day in the country.